Hello, listeners. Welcome to Determined to Dream, the dyslexia awareness podcast brought to you by me, Christy Huff. I was diagnosed with dyslexia at seven years old, and in my limited edition podcast series, I hope to bring a little bit more knowledge and awareness to learning disabilities. In these next seven episodes, you will hear from people with dyslexia as well as experts on dyslexia. For more information about dyslexia, go to dyslexiafoundation.org. My goal with this podcast is to end the stigma of special ed and learning disabilities. I hope that you enjoy this new episode. Well, welcome to episode four of Determined to Dream, the Dyslexia Awareness Podcast. I can't believe we're already at episode four of my seven episode podcast series. Today's episode, um, I'm really excited. I know I say I'm excited about every episode, but I'm truly excited. I mean, I'm excited about all my episodes, but I'm very excited about today's episode. Um, I'm interviewing my friend from high school, uh, April Babbitt, and today, you know, we talk about just her journey and her story um, with dyslexia and with learning disabilities, and her story is truly inspiring. Um April is now a dental hygienist and I'm like very impressed by her and her career choice and her career achievements um, just because you know being a dental hygienist there's a lot of learning of the different anatomy and all that kind of stuff and I know for me I struggled a lot with that so I'm very impressed by April um, and all of her achievements. Um, We talk a lot about, of course, April's story and then one thing that I really love that April brings up is you know, when you have a learning disability, it's about finding the way that you learn. And, you know, it takes some self-discovery into kind of realizing what process and what learning methods work for you. Um, But we talk a lot about that. And then once you know what your learning style is to run with that and learn in that way. So it was just a very um, inspiring episode, very inspiring conversation for me to talk to April, um, just to hear her story. Um, So I'm really excited for you guys today to hear her story. um, And I hope that you guys, you know, have have just as much fun listening to this conversation as I had um, talking to April. So without further ado, here is my episode with April Babbitt. Awesome. Well, um, everybody, welcome to my second episode of my Dyslexia Awareness Podcast. Um, right now, I don't know what it's called, but probably the future me does. So I probably... You probably already know what it's called, Um, but I'm so excited for um, my guest today. I have April Babbitt, and actually she's married now, so you have a new last name. What is your new last name? Well, my husband's last name is Merrill, but I've kept Babbitt. You've kept Babbitt. Well, with a name like Babbitt, you don't want to get rid of that. (laughs) I like it, yeah. Well, I'm so excited. April and I, uh, we went, we grew up together going to the same high school and junior high, and um, we never knew that each other had dyslexia. So I am going to, I want to just kind of ask April, because we never really knew, um, I never knew that about you. So I want to ask you kind of your journey um, in discovering you have dyslexia, whether that was at a young age, and um yeah, and how old you were and when you were uh, diagnosed? 
Yeah, so I think it really all goes back to second grade. That was when I remember for the first time that I learned differently and that I was struggling with things that my other classmates and siblings might not be struggling with. And I also had a speech impediment. I still do. But at that time, it was really, really severe as well. And so it's hard to know exactly what was part of you know, the speech problems and what was more of the dyslexia. Uh, but second grade was a real big turning point for me and just trying to deal with school. School was such a big uh, anxiety area mm-hmm. for me. I hated going to school um, and I hated all of the tests and all of the reading and math it just nothing ever seemed to be working for me and it got to the point where my teachers really didn't know what to do with me and they wanted to put me in like a special ed Mm -hmm. group and just kind of put me over there and not have to deal with me or my anxiety about school Uh, luckily my mom she's a teacher and she was able to help me a lot and took me out of school after the second grade and I was homeschooled for a period of time until I could read, you know, at a established level and figure out math and, and those other things too. Wow. That's, that's, um, that's crazy. I, I guess we kind of have a similar, um, not story, but like kind of background and like the age, uh, when, when we found out that we were dyslexic, I, my, I found out when I was like seven, I think, um, and my parents just kind of knew um, or thought that something was up because I have two older siblings and they all could read. And I was like seven years old and didn't know how to read yet and couldn't spell my name or like no letters. So that's yeah, that's that's really um, interesting. Was it um, like was it your parents? That's that's awesome that your parents that your mom is a teacher. Did that did they kind of notice something in you? Because I know you come from a big family as well. So did they notice kind of something and then were big, like, advocates for you? Yeah. Well, what's interesting is both of my siblings have similar uh, situation where they had a hard time reading. I, my youngest sister is in the same boat where uh, she just – it took a while to figure out how to read and how – words worked and and how to continue on that like a learning path and at some point we've all kind of been taken out of school and my mom would teach us you know and spend the one-on-one time with us Mm -hmm. until we could kind of you know rejoin yeah the the public a little bit more in a classroom setting yes and I think that is one thing um that I kind of want to make a like aware to everybody about dyslexia is that that one-on-one time is so important and crucial, I think, for us to learn because in, I don't know, like a classroom environment, it's like, I remember like for me, like in high school or junior high or even elementary school, the teacher would be going off and teaching and all the other kids seemed to be, you know, understanding what was going on. And I was like looking at the other kids kind of like, wait, what am I supposed to to be doing and then from there came anxiety like you were mentioning um is that where do you think the anxiety came from the most like the social aspect around it or just just anxiety and learning in general 
I think for me, I'm a bit of a, I am definitely a perfectionist and I'm a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. And I did remember as a kid that pressure to just, I want to do the thing you are asking me to do that you feel like I ought to be doing. I want not to feel like a failure. And so I think that's where my anxiety came from. And it got to the point where I would really act out in school. I would hide under tables. They would give a test and I would just like hide under the table and I could not come out until my mom came and she would take me out for the day and we'd kind of talk about it. But that was a common theme for me is how can I get out of this? How can I avoid it at all costs? And so it was the anxiety of failing and then also, you know, I'd act out. I'd do something that wasn't really appropriate like hiding underneath my chair or table and then sort of how the other students would interact with that and react to that yeah yeah so do you think so your mom took you out of school like around second grade Mm -hmm. um and how long were you homeschooled for i was homeschooled for a year and then i was put into like a montessori type classroom to kind of just ease me back into a more structured setting without going straight into mm-hmm. the normal, the normal, I think, classic school system. And once you did get back into, like, starting at the Montessori school and then heading back into, like, more of, like, a public school um, setting, uh, do, you, do you, did you gain confidence when you were back home being homeschooled, do you think? Yeah, I think I gained confidence, and I also realized that I had to deal with some of my own expectations. Like, mm-hmm. I wasn't going to get straight A's. I wasn't going to accomplish this as easily as some of my peers. It was going to take me maybe three times longer or harder to get to that same point, but that wasn't a failure. I failed mm-hmm. when I stopped trying, and so for me, that allowed me to kind of put a little less pressure on myself and to figure out how I like to learn and what expectations I, I was comfortable with. That's so true. It's interesting. Um, you are my second interview. Um, and, you know, one one thing, and I'm sure throughout when I do the, this interview process and talk to more people, um, I really have come to know, like, it's like, yeah, like I, I'm talking to somebody who whose brain works the same way my brain works and and it's really um it's really interesting to hear you say that 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 it's like you just have to accept i guess what your reality is going to be and you know i think you know for us like you know th- that can be really hard um you know just kind of accepting like okay these are my limits but it's also very humbling and i think that that humbleness hasn't only helped you know me in my um, academia career, but also just in my life in general. And I wanted to kind of like talk to you, like, you know, if there's one thing, one good thing, I guess, that, you know, dyslexia can give you, like, I think, like, what do you think about that? Do you, do you think that that has kind of helped you, um, you know, in life and in, in, in setting goals in general? Because it, realizing it's not a failure, but just different and I think so much like so many people nowadays you know have these goals and they are just destroyed if they don't get that um for you and I we know what it's like to not 
to, to have to reevaluate and be like, you know what? I'm not going to be a mathematician. That's okay. You know? So I want to know from you, like, how ha- how did that kind of shape you in setting different goals? And I want to talk to you about your career because that's amazing. Um, you're a dental hygienist. Uh, but yeah, I, I guess <laughs> before we get ahead of ourselves, um, how has um, that kind of humbled you in your life and, and, and in setting goals just with different aspects of life? Yeah, I... You know, I would not say that, like, being dyslexic is a huge blessing, but I have really seen huge blessings from it, and one of that is I just know how to fail really well. I can, you know, I'm not saying I don't get discouraged, but I have also seen, you know, in my peers that sometimes something will trip them up and they don't know how to recover, Um, but I just feel like I can fail at something and then just keep trying. Uh, because that all of growing up was for me, that with my speech impediment, I went to speech therapy for years. Mm-hmm. Um, people in my own family couldn't understand what I was saying. And so growing up, not being able to read and write, not being able to talk even, I think it has really given me a, a it's really helped me value communication mm-hmm. and just how easy it can be and how difficult it can be at the same time. And then also just creating reasonable goals and understanding when you don't meet them. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not a 100% win or lose. You can find that medium area where you're like, I understand what I did wrong here and I can try a new method and kind of grow from it. Yes. Yeah, no, like that's, that's amazing. And I think too, like, have you heard that there's like a saying and I'm probably totally butchering the saying, but it's, it's fail better. You know, like we're all going to fail, but it's it's kind of what you do after and 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 what you can learn from your failures, um, I guess, you know, that that really kind of shapes you and, and not even fail. Like, I hate that word fail, but it's like, yeah, it's I think of it like tripping forward. Mm, yes. Know? Yes. Like I'm falling, but I'm going to fall forward. I'm tripping <laughs> forward. I, I fall but as long as I'm headed in that right direction, then I can just keep tripping and eventually <laughs> I will get there. Yes. No. Oh, that's, I love that. That is such a good, um, a good out, like a good, um, a good way of looking at it. Um, so I wanted to kind of talk to you too. So, cause I, what I want to, um, you know, especially make aware in this podcast is not only, um, with, you know, people with all learning disabilities, but, um, you know, focusing on dyslexia, not only does it affect your, um, you know, your, I guess, um, I don't know, your ability to learn, but it also does, like you said, it gives you anxiety. It, um, it, it, it's, it, it, I guess like it hurts your self-esteem and that in itself can cause a lot of, you know, issues and psychological pain for people. And that's kind of what I want to get across too. Like dyslexia is so much more than just that, you know, it's like you have to overcome. It's more than just like flipping your B's and D's, which I still do. Yes. It it does affect you in your life. I just remember growing up thinking, I'm not very smart. Like I am not a smart kid. I'm Mm. never going to be smart. I need to work on things that won't involve being smart because I can't achieve it. And Luckily, as I've grown up, I've realized that's not true. Just because I can't, 
I feel like there's this checklist or this criteria of what we think smart is, mm-hmm. and it's so limited and it's so just constricted of like you have to have this, this, and that mm-hmm. to be smart. And I don't see it that way anymore. And it's been empowering as I've gotten older. So like these are the things I've accomplished, and this is what I'm good at, and I can be smart in other ways, and I can still be smart with reading and writing and with more, you know, the classic things. I just have to work at it differently. Mm-hmm. And that's so true. It's work at it differently. You know, like for us, I think that, um, you know, we don't learn in the, you know, typical way that other people might learn. But I I think it's different, too, for each dyslexic and everybody who has a learning disability. We have to find a way to learn for ourselves that that works for us. And it's like once you kind of uh, what I found in my own life, it's once I've um, kind of understood what that way is for me, then I and I and I just kind of have to let my pride go and and ask for help or, or do whatever I need to do to get this problem or sometimes even answering emails. I get an email even to, in my in my life today and I'm like, okay, I can read this, but what does it say? You know? And and I think just like be understanding like, well, I have to ask somebody what this means and just kind of accepting like this is the way I learn and it doesn't make me dumb. It just in fact it's like this is just what I need to do to get to from point A to point B. And, you know, um, yeah, so it's, I don't know, it's very interesting. It's really cool talking um, talking to you and kind of seeing our similarities. Just to add on another thing that I think maybe gets, that can connect with the anxiety mm-hmm. is also a lot of anger. I remember growing up just being really angry and frustrated that everyone else was getting this and it was easy and they're being so angry and like, it's not fair. It's not yeah. fair that this is hard for me. And I should be able to put in this amount of effort, the same amount. And it's a, I just remember arguing with my mom, um, saying, like, I should be able to put in the same amount of effort. And if it doesn't get me as far, that's fine. Mm-hmm. And, and she's like, no, you've got, it's okay if you have to put in more effort. It does seem unfair. But just saying, okay, I'm only going to go halfway because that's the same amount of effort that everyone else is putting in. You know, that's not going to work in your life. That, wow. I don't know if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. No, that's that's so true. And it's so true. Like, I mean, there's been many times. I remember as like, a kid, like, crying to my parents, being like, why don't I get this? Like, why? Why? You know? And, um, and I think after a while, it's like, yeah, like, you go through that stage in your life where you're just angry and mad. And then I think eventually it's like you just – like I've seen that you've done <laughs> and I want to talk to you kind of about like how, what what made you get over that anger at maybe and, and maybe you're still like I mean I know at times I'm angry like sometimes still you know um, and I guess you just become yeah. kind of used to it but what um, what what how have you been able to move past that anger in your life and just kind of be like okay this sucks I have to work twice three times as hard as everybody and still and maybe still be looked at as like not the smartest kid in the room you know which sucks but what for you what has helped you and and kind of pushed you to get past that anger I think it's a couple different things a couple different moments in my life where it's like oh that made a difference I think for one I have an older sister that I look up to a lot and she always seemed so smart 
I remember having a conversation with her and be like, you, you seem to just succeed. How are you doing it? She's like, I am working, you know, three, four times as hard as anyone else. This is a struggle for me too. So just realizing that, you know, it's her struggle as well. And then I think everyone's got a struggle. Everyone's mm-hmm. got something that they have to work harder than maybe I do. Maybe there's something that I'm good at that other people are tripping on. Mm-hmm. But I think it was just realizing, you know, every everyone's got something that they aren't succeeding at perfectly. Yes. And, and I think that was really humbling for me. I think another one was just realizing that this could be beneficial. This could help me in other avenues in my life where I could use the things that I learn and implement them in different areas and it could it could help strengthen strengthen me in my life. Yeah. No, that that's very true. Um so what kind of made you um like go become a dental hygienist and how was that um yeah, what was your, kind of your decision in wanting to do that and, like, going through school for that? Like, what? I mean, I'm sure – I mean, I don't know. Like, was it hard? And, and yeah, I just kind of want to hear your your story with that because I think, I think so many people, yeah. like, you know, so many people um, who have dyslexia, who, like, when they're young kids, it's like they, they want – they have dreams of, you know, achieving different things, and it, I think it's cool to, like, kind of hear from – other people who struggled that way, but then we're still able to, you know, make their dreams and what and their careers happen. Yeah, so I think for me, it really starts when I was younger um, and just spending that time trying to figure out what worked for me and how I liked to learn. And I found that I really liked learning. I really loved learning new things. I remember I'd have like a cassette, like a Harry Potter cassette. Um, and I was just like, listen to it over and over again as I was riding my bike around the neighborhood and then just being so frustrated because I didn't have the next concept. So it really, like, I think that was one of the things that motivated me to learn how to read because I wanted to know what happened next and I didn't have the concept. And then just that continuing of, okay, what helps me learn and what gets me excited to learn? And I, it was incredibly hard. It was really, really hard going to school going to college, um, it's a very intense program to become a dental hygienist. Uh, You just have to learn a lot, and I think that's something that maybe people aren't too aware of, but you you do deal with um, a lot of, you know, complex medical histories, and you have to know a lot of anatomy and a lot of things with inflammation and kind of how the body works. And so, you know, that was really hard, and I just remember thinking, I'm going to fail. I'm not going to be able to do this, uh, but just throughout my life, those moments of, I really want to learn how this works. I'm interested and invested in, mm-hmm. you know, the curiosity. I think I'm a very curious person, and I wanted to learn everything, and I still do, and just figuring out how I learn those things, what works for me. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Just hearing you talk about, like, learning, like, the anatomy and, like, the different medical history. I remember, like, I was in anatomy in school, and I'm like, oh, I I would get mixed up, like, different bones. Like, I would know all the bones, but then, like, you know, (laughs) I would get it mixed up. I'm like, man. So that's amazing (laughs) that you were, like, able to get through that. Did you – 
because I know for school, like, I mean, I, I didn't go to college, but just going through high school, I like had accommodations. Um, did you have accommodations that helped you? And then did you, did you have accommodations that helped you um, in, in, in college as well? You know, I wish that I had taken advantage of those. I had kind of grown up with this mentality of I have to do it all myself. I can't ask for help. I can't ask for special treatment. I have to figure it out because if I can't figure it out now, I'll never be able to figure it out. And I think, you know, it is good to, to push yourself, but I, I wish I would taken advantage of some of those resources to help me more because it could have really relieved a lot of stress. Um, but luckily my program that I was in, I'm very grateful for, it focused a lot on mindfulness, on meditation, on letting go of perfection, and just achieving what you need to achieve. And so that was really beneficial for me, but I wish I had taken advantage of that a little bit more. But I mean, like you said, you know, um, it's, it's a whole like I don't know emotional toll almost to accept that you even need that extra help. Yes. So and that's something I wasn't good at. Mm-hmm. I was not good at saying I need more time or I need a quiet environment. I need someone to read it to mm-hmm. me. I remember in a test I would read it like seven times and I would underline it and then I would draw out what it was asking me just mm-hmm. so I knew that I wasn't misreading it and that I wasn't messing up the words. Yeah. So I had some diagrams. I could always tell which test was mine because it was full of these <laughs> diagrams. Yeah. And he's like, just to make sure that I understood it. Yes. Yeah. No. And, and it's so true. I talked um, a little bit about this with my aunt, but I think so many, uh, cause you know, kind of like the definition of dyslexia and the common, um, thought of what it is, is like, Oh, words get mixed up. And, like, that's true, but I think, too, um, I could read a question and maybe read all the words, but not know what it's asking me. And yeah. and that's one thing, like, it, do you agree? Is that kind of, I mean, like you said, you, were, you would be drawing on your test to kind of tell yourself what it was saying. Um, is, yeah. is that kind of, I, I'm just curious to know if, like, everybody's brains kind of works differently or if that's a common thing in dyslexics. Yeah, so I, I ha- would read the sentence and just not understand what it was saying. Like, I could read the words, and then i try to think, okay, what is it actually asking? Can I boil it down to, like, a shorter version? And that's really what I have to do for every question is, do I understand what it, the words and how they connect together? Mm-hmm. And then also, you know, I'm double, I'm doubting myself. I'm I'm double, triple checking, and then I'm doubting what I thought I knew, and I'm doubting what I already answered. And so, you know, at a point, it becomes a vicious cycle, and I go back and change all my my answers because I was thinking, no, this is actually what it's asking, and this is what that word means and and all of that. I just remember doing the test and just like, I can't can't understand that one. I'm skipping it. I can't understand Mm -hmm. this one. I'm skipping it. And this was a lot in high school, too. And, and just like, okay, I did the best I could. I really felt growing up that I couldn't depend on anyone to, to help me mm-hmm. figure it out. Like, I had to figure it out myself. And I think I'm also just really stubborn. And that's also how I learn is I just need to sit down 
and I'll figure out the best I can, and then I go ask someone. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish growing up that I had been more open with, I'm struggling with this, but it, it felt, it had a lot of shame tied into it. Yes, yes. Feeling of, of, I am not good enough unless I can do what other people do. Yeah. So were there, like, any coping mechanisms that you, you know, held on to uh, to kind of help you cope with that? I know for me, um, I tend to make fun of myself um, so that I can kind of beat people to doing it, you know, to thinking I'm dumb or something. Um, And that has, you know, it started out as a coping mechanism and and now is just a part of my personality. Do you think that you have something like that that has now even become a part of, a big part of who you are? I think in the beginning, my go-to was avoidance. If I could get out of it or if I could avoid it, I did. I, in second grade, skipped and ditched school all of the time. I remember, you know, we had this big van and all of the kids would be piling out, and I'd sink to the floor and army crawl all the way back, wait for my mom to drive home, hide in my room where I had already stashed some snacks, and just, like, ditch whenever I could. I remember I brought in the fourth grade a can of cream of mushroom, and I pretended to throw up. Oh, my gosh. And i just, like, dump it in the toilet, because I knew that if you threw up, they'd have to send you home. Mm-hmm. So I did whatever I could to avoid it at all costs. Um, you know, that only lasts so long. You kind of have to leave that one behind you. Uh, denial was a big one for a while. And now it's just, you know, lowering the bar a little bit, but in a nice way. Like just mm-hmm. letting the pressure out a little. Um, I also just, I love to learn visually. And so that has been just learning that about myself and finding resources has been really helpful. I did the same thing where if I could make the joke first, mm-hmm. then, you know, it would relieve some of the the shame that I felt. Yeah. Because I felt like everyone was already thinking, so I'll just say it out mm-hmm. loud. Mm-hmm. And then everybody's laughing and you're like, actually, I'm really hurt by this, you know, <laughs> but then, but then, yeah. but then I'm know. like, it's I my made, fault. I made the joke. But, I know. Yeah. <laughs> So this yeah. is one thing I, I I kind of also wanted to ask um, <clears throat> because I like you mentioned you're you're a people pleaser and I I can relate to that um, and and one of um, and one way that I wanted to kind of please people is like I was I really wanted my my teachers to to like me and think I was smart. Um, <laughs> it, yeah. Did did you have the same kind of um, yeah, like the, the same feeling. And what I also wanted to want to ask is, um, did your teachers, because I, I also felt this too. I had a lot of really great teachers who were there for me. And then I also had some teachers that kind of thought I was stupid or lazy um, and then and didn't understand. Like they knew I was dyslexic, but it's like, it's invisible. They, they don't see that from us, you know, like on the outside. And most people don't even really know what it is. Did you, did you feel that, um, and, and how, how did that affect you? Yeah, for sure. I have a list of teachers that I loved that I feel like really taught me individually, Mm -hmm. um, and really took that time. And then I think I also, you know, I definitely had the teachers that would just kind of put you in the corner and just like pass you along to the next person, Mm -hmm. um, and just like, well, 
I don't have the time. And I think a lot of it is they just don't have the time. They're really limited on time. But there is definitely some some cases where I remember just feeling tiny and just feeling like, oh, I don't need to, I don't need to learn this, I guess. Or mm-hmm. it's not important if I learned this. It's important if everyone else did, but it's not important if I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, you're right. I think, um, you know, as a kid, you t- like – I remember taking things like that personally, but I think that it really is just, you know, now growing up, I'm like, man, everybody has something that they're going through. They have 30 kids an hour that they have to teach, you know, so, so I get that. But, but yeah, it's, it's just like little things like that too, that like, it just keeps on like kind of, you know, hurting at your self-esteem when it comes to learning and, and exactly, it it hurts your self-esteem in learning. So then it's just like, oh, I don't even want to ask a question because uh, they'll be mad or I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. I just remember asking questions that were so dumb. Like, it to me, they felt so dumb because you would get that reaction from the class if you kept asking questions that everyone else had already figured out and you were, like, holding the class up. Mm-hmm. And I just felt that, like, that tension as I am still asking the same question over and over again and then everyone else has just moved on to you know two chapters later oh man no I I remember like math I I was terrible at math and once I the teacher put me on the spot which I don't know about you but I I do terrible on the spot you know even if I know it I just I can't I can't uh Yes, I'm like even yeah, exactly. And he put me on the spot for to ask me a question and I had no idea. And I just started crying in class. And it was like I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so embarrassing. But but you know, there are just like things like that that like even when you go through those, like we've kind of talked about, it just like it makes you stronger, I think. I mean it sucks, but it just like it makes you just kind of be like, Well, yeah, I I looked I looked dumb, oh well. You know what I mean? And just kind of, like, yeah. move past it. But here, this is, like, another question I have for you. Um, kind of talking about, like, being put on the spot. I, I'm curious to know if, um, if if that's how it is for you, too. Like, when somebody asks you. I feel like I can't really be asked a question on something. Even when it has nothing to do with reading. Um, just, like, that pressure just kind of makes me doubt myself. And, and it makes it so that I can't think of what to say. Exactly. Um, my husband is very smart. His brain works very different than mine. He like just picks it up and he gets it. Mm-hmm. And he can do quick math. He can just do math in his head. And I can ask him something and he'll just figure it out. And then he'll ask me something really basic, like really basic math out of nowhere, just in conversation. And I'm like, I have no idea. Like you asked me like how many times eight goes into whatever number and I have no idea I cannot figure it out I have to give me a second to slow down yes and almost like change gears mm-hmm. exactly it's like it's got an actual changing of gears for me to switch my brain over to that because I was nowhere near that or uh in that realm and I cannot just jump into that spite that space that's yeah no that's so true um, one thing that um, when I interviewed my aunt that she said was going through school, she she quickly learned when she was going through college that she, um, exactly that, she couldn't take multiple subjects at a time. She found that she learned better 
focusing and taking maybe like one class at a time so that she could just put all of her focus in that. Um, how was college and how, like, did you find that it was better for you to kind of do it that way? Or yeah, how did, how, how was your technique going through college? Yeah, so I did a few years of prereqs, but once you're in the actual program, it's really rigid. The classes you take and when, and if you get below like a 75 on a test, or if you get below um, a certain grade, then you're out, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and an A wasn't, an A had to be like a 94 and above, and then it kind of worked its way down. And so, um, grades and all of that was just like really really stressful and you couldn't take you couldn't like compromise things it had to stay in that structure okay uh and so that was really that was really hard for me to kind of deal with because I couldn't just focus on one class I always had the same class yeah so there's there's 20 people in my class and so we all took the same classes at the same time we all had to go at the same pace uh, which in some aspects were nice because then I always had a really solid study group, but mostly it was just really stressful to try to feel like I had to constantly keep up. Mm-hmm. So one question I have too, um, <clears throat> were there like any activities because, um, you know, confidence is a huge thing. Um, and that's one thing that, you know, having a learning disability where your your confidence is shaken a lot of the time. Um, it Was there an outlet that you had, um, an activity or something that, that you were passionate about um, where you gained your confidence? Yeah, actually, I really, uh, I love working with my hands. Mm-hmm. Um, I love making things. And so for me, I was always like knitting and crocheting or weaving or doing something that I could just focus on my hands and was really repetitive. Uh, And so I just found that really relaxing to just kind of stop thinking with my brain and stop worrying about how much I knew and just focus on what I could create and what I could make out of whatever I could find. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it's, it's kind of been, like, sad. Like, people say, like, people who have dyslexia tend to be you know, more creative in things like that. And I think a big part of that is because we need to find, um, I think we find more joy in things that, you know, is, isn't really school related. Um, and then that's where we gain our confidence. So that's just kind of what we become good at. Do you, um, still like crochet and work with your hands today? Oh, okay. You, yeah, you guys actually. can't. You guys can't see this, but she we're we're skyping, and she just held up. What are you making? I am making a baby blankets. Okay. So it's it's just the beginnings. I started maybe twenty minutes before we started oh, wow. talking. But I'm yeah. Quarantine. I am just covered in yarn. I have literally like I'm looking, and I've got boxes to either side of me of just yarn. that's awesome so she started 20 minutes ago and it already looks like half of it is done so so I'm sure that you took the having to work three times as hard at school um you've been able to implement implement that into (laughs) your um your activities that you do to make it so that you you know are are even quicker that's what you're fast at is is knitting (laughs) 
Yeah, and I think for me too, it was something I could be a perfectionist at. Mm -hmm. You know, I am not going to be a perfectionist in the academic side of my life. I learn, I work as hard as I can, but I understand straight A's and 100% is not, you know, in in my future but I can sit down and work on something that's really detailed that requires a lot of skill that requires a lot of focus and I can be perfect and I can or you know not perfect but it's close as it and I can be a perfectionist at this and really you know break it down to to the smallest little thing it's something where you feel like as much effort as I put into this I'm going to get out of I'm gonna I'm gonna get that out of it yes yes and that that's awesome so um, kind of, I guess, um, one of the last things I want to ask you before we kind of start to wrap up, um, you said that you have a couple siblings that um, also struggle uh, maybe with dyslexia or other learning disabilities. Um, is that something that you have kind of been able to, like you guys are, are there for each other and, and kind of learn the same way as each other? Yeah, I would say so. Um, you know, the one that comes to my mind is my younger sister, Danny. She has a really hard time with math and with reading as well. And so that's something we're really close in age. And that's something that we've been able to work on together. And I think also just understand that we, but I think we learn differently mm-hmm. and, um, and have different challenges in different things. So as much as it like brings us together, it's still kind of hard to understand the other's perspective because we are still so different and I think that is what's hard for a lot of people to understand with learning disorders and with dyslexia is you know it's not like it's all clumped together Mm -hmm. that we all have dyslexia and so we all figured it out the same way you know we're siblings close in age we struggle with the same things but we still learn so differently Mm -hmm. and we still take pleasure in learning in completely different ways. Yeah, no, that's so true. And that's why I think it's it's hard, you know. Um, I think, like, the educational system is uh, is, is trying to help with, with school um, and, and with people with learning disabilities. I do think that they're, at least from when I was going through school, I had, like, a lot of great help. But then I also, uh, I, I think that there could be some work done. And I think one of, one area is, yes, understanding, like, just because, you know, three people are in, are in a room and have dyslexia um, and maybe learn similar ways, it affects each of us differently. You know, like some of us might. And I think that's why some teachers, it's hard for them to understand. Maybe if they had one student with dyslexia who did really well at math and one student with dyslexia who it just doesn't it just doesn't click. That's just how it is. I think it works differently for all of us. Yeah, which is yeah. it's it's a very it's very yeah. it's a very interesting um, <laughs> disorder <laughs> to have. The brain is a very is very interesting. <laughs> yeah, and it's so complex, and it you know it's so amazing. I don't understand why we all think it's going to work in one way. Like it's like mm-hmm. this super complex or you know organ, and it does all of these amazing things. You know, there's so many there's so much variation in it that it just seems common sense that it would express itself in different ways. Yeah. So um, do you have any advice for, because uh, I know that there are a lot of people out there who struggle with learning disabilities um, and who, A, 
don't know because um, a lot of a lot of learning disabilities are invisible like dyslexia is invisible you don't know that you have it um un until you don't know that that's why you're struggling until you're diagnosed do you have yeah. any advice for somebody who's struggling who doesn't know that they have dyslexia or somebody who does know and in, 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 in ways that they can cope and kind of and kind of you know words words of encouragement that everything will be okay <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, if I was talking to my younger self, I would say, ask for help. It's okay to ask mm -hmm. for help. It's okay to need it. You know, I just didn't feel like I, it was shameful to need more than other people. It's okay to need extra help. Um, and, you know, for me, what helped me a lot was YouTube. I, those educational videos helped so much for me. And then it's okay if you don't get it as soon as you think you will get it. Someday you'll get it. Someday things will click and you'll be able to uh, kind of function the way you want to function. You know, it's going to happen. Uh, and for me that meant, you know, it wasn't always a straight line. I kind of had to mm -hmm. curl around things and circle back and this looping kind of trail. But eventually I got to where I wanted to be and it's okay to fail you know, fail yeah. every day. Yes. No, that's, that's great. That's no, that's really good advice. And I think everybody, even like without, um, people who don't have learning disabilities, it's okay to fail, you know, and we're all going to have times like that. And it, it's not, it's not that you failed, but it's what you do after, after that happens, you know, and, and how you cope. Well, I just want to thank you so much for being on my podcast for Dyslexia Awareness. Um, I don't know what it's called yet, so <laughs> I will I will let everybody know. Everybody who's listening now probably already does know. But I just want to thank you so much, and congratulations on all of your accomplishments and success and, you know, your, your way of being able to move past, um, you know, all of the struggles that you've had. I think that's amazing. And, and I think that, I mean, for me, I look up to people who, who do that more than like, you know, who, who, who might be like the smartest people in the room. It's a different way of being smart, you know? And I think, well, I guess one, one thing I, I, I don't want to, I guess, I guess we're not done yet. Cause I want to ask you one more thing. <laughs> I, I find, <laughs> I find that, um, I've become more emotionally intelligent because I've had to, my instincts have had to be, I don't know, like quicker and more, you know, aware. Um, mm -hmm. Do you think that you can relate in, in some ways? Yeah, definitely. And that's actually something I meant to say, but I forgot to say earlier was, I think one thing that I've gotten from this is just, I think there's a level of empathy that I have now that I didn't and I think empathy is so important and understanding that you know, people show up in different ways and people have strengths in different things. And I can empathize with that so much more now. And then also just being able to sit down with someone's failure. You know, when mm -hmm. someone is feeling like they're a total failure, I can sit in that moment with them and really just be there for them Um and, and so that's something that I just really am grateful for in my life. No, that's so true because I think, I think that maybe this is even a way that some people cope and it's not that great of a coping mechanism, but they, they end up 
kind of quote unquote judging people about certain things that they go through. And I think that is one thing. I don't think that people mean it, but I do. I definitely think that that's a way that people kind of cope with their own insecurities. Um, and that's one thing that I, I can agree with you 100% that it's like, well, I understand if people, you know, I can understand more and feel empathy for people now because I'm like, well, I have no idea what they're going through because I wouldn't want somebody, somebody to judge me for something that they don't even know why I... You know, I, I do things the way that I do, you know. So, yeah, I think that's great. You not only, um, you know, struggle with dyslexia, but you um, also struggle with um, a speech impediment. Um, and by the way, I don't even, I can't even tell right now with how you're talking right now. See, I can't even speak right now. No, but <laughs> but you sound um, you sound great. What was your journey with that and and how um, yeah, what what was your journey with, with with your speech impediment and how do you talk so clearly now? So it started again in second grade um, and they just I wasn't speaking well. I would you know talk and it would make sense to me, but you know my parents wouldn't even understand what I was trying to say. The only person who could, really reliably translate with my younger sister and so that was very isolating growing up and then uh, once it kind of was diagnosed and I started to go to a speech therapist a few times a week in the second to the fourth grade and so I did that and it was really just a lot of goldfish playing goldfish and I couldn't continue on until I said the word on the card correctly and that was really frustrating and I hate speech therapy, mm-hmm. um, though it was, it did me a lot of good. Um, I have noticed, though, if I don't interact with people for a period of time, I will start going back to some of the way I used to talk. So I have to put a lot of effort. It's something I think about. It's not, it doesn't come very naturally. I have to think about the words that I'm saying and what I'm going to say next, um, or it just comes out in a really weird way. But this quarantine, I haven't been talking to as many people, and I, I would try to talk to my parents on the phone or something, and I would start kind of slurring my words again, slurring them together again, or I'd start stuttering. Uh, and so that was really hard growing up and trying to deal with, but it progressively has been getting better, and I know things that can help that will make it better. It made reading out loud a total mm-hmm. nightmare. I, to this day, I still don't like to read out loud because the process of trying to read and then trying to yes. say it correctly, it just short circuits, short circuits something and then it becomes a total mess. I can't even imagine um, not feeling like, like not really being able to communicate like through words, but then also not even being able like having to make think even harder in asking for questions and asking for help and asking questions like I can't I can't even imagine so here's one question that I I don't know and maybe our listeners don't really know either and I don't know if it varies but when it comes to speech impediments is that is that like a neurological thing or is it something that you're just kind of born with that yes I I don't know anything about um about that 
You know, I, I don't know either. That is a really good question. It was something that I kind of just absorbed as, in a, as a second grader and kind of was like, oh, okay, that's what it's called. I'll continue on with that. I haven't done much research, but I should. My mom's theory, and this was just her theory, I had a lot of um, ear infections as a kid, mm-hmm. as a baby, and that it could have done something in developmentally trying to hear and that I didn't hear very well and that influenced how I spoke. I am not sure if that's the case. I do know that I have an older brother who took a really long time in learning how to talk as well. And so maybe there's a genetic component. Mm -hmm. I am not sure. Well, I do want to say, um, you know, I've known you since like high school. I don't know, a long time now. It's crazy. Time goes by fast. And you sound amazing. Like you sound great. Um, I remember like hearing a little bit of something um, like in high school and stuff, but you sound you sound great. You sound amazing. So like <laughs> congratulations and, and, you know, just, just another thing that has kind of brought you like made you stronger and, and, and another thing that you've, you know, yeah. been able to overcome, which is amazing. It's, you know, talking about insecurity, I think that my speech impediment caused more damage with my insecurity than mm-hmm. being dyslexic because I was, it was you know, visible I could understand more. that maybe I, I just hated the idea of sounding dumb, mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. Sounding, you know, asking dumb questions and then sounding dumb okay. at the yeah. same time. And so, you know, the defense mechanism that you mentioned, I definitely joked about my speech impediment a lot in high school and in junior high. I was always, people would ask me, oh, why do you sound that way? And I would just tell them I was from a different country. And yeah. I did that pretty routinely, you know, in high school. Man, that's, that's, that's funny, but that's, that's sad that like, yes, that's, that's, you know, what, what you felt like you had to do to kind of hide it, you know? Man. Yeah. Man, do you have any, um, I know we were, ta- we, we, we had mentioned, um, words of advice, by the way, everybody, we were talking uh, at the end, and then she started talking about her speech impediment, and I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't even ask you about this. So we uh, we put this segment back in. Um, but I wanted to ask you any advice you might have for people struggling um, with speech impediments and maybe maybe ways to, you know, overcome it mentally and emotionally, but then also you sound great, you know, in talking right now. Anything that you did to kind of, you know, be, be able to overcome that. Yeah. I remember, I remember when I was younger, I was overhearing a conversation between one of my teachers and my mom. And I just remember feeling so low in that moment because she was just saying all of these things that I wasn't doing well and that she didn't think I was going, going to be successful in where I was at and that I needed to be moved somewhere else and that I couldn't speak and I couldn't read and I couldn't write and so I was just not going to figure anything out really and I just remember being in third grade and thinking oh my gosh that's horrible I feel so bad about myself and so my piece of advice would be to just keep trying Mm -hmm. Uh, I did speech therapy and it was horrible and I hated it. I think maybe that was just my own personal experience. Some people could love it, but to just show up and keep trying and doing it. 
and then realizing that you can define what success means. It doesn't have to be what someone else has obtained, and it doesn't have to be what your parents say that you should figure out or what your teachers say you should be at. It really could be whatever you want it to be, and that pushing yourself in a healthy way will make Mm -hmm. you stronger. Yeah, and that's so true. Like not, I mean, you know, um, you know, as parents and teachers, they kind of predict certain things or, you know, say things, but to not let that, you know, stop you and and yeah. to create your own to create your own um, expectations and goals and and just focus on that. No, I think I think that's that's great. Well, thank you so much um, again for being here today yeah. with me. <laughs> thank you. And um, yeah, I think you're you're great. And to be and to be able to overcome, you know, dyslexia on top of having you know a speech impediment like that is just that's really amazing. Um, and you know, it's it's crazy. I bet for you like to see where you are now and looking back at when you were younger how you felt and the struggles that you had and how you've been able to overcome certain struggles um, and how you've been able to overcome um, your emotional struggles as well is just amazing. And one thing that I do want to mention to our listeners is that like dyslexia and like, you know, like speech impediments and, and all of that, there is no cure. There is no, it never goes away. Um, it's always going to be there and it's, it's just something that you over time, if you get better at something, it's because of the work that you're putting into overcoming it. Um, so if I I could just say one thing too, please, it like, I still struggle with it to this day. Yesterday I was trying to make a phone call and I probably misdialed it nine times, Mm -hmm. but not figure out the numbers they kept switching on me and I was standing outside the door it said to call before entering it was like a medical center and I was standing out there for so long trying to dial the numbers that eventually someone just came to the door and (laughs) opened it for me because I couldn't even make a phone call Mm -hmm. and I just remember feeling really embarrassed but taking it with a little bit of humor Mm -hmm. but yeah it definitely does just you don't grow out of it no it's always there It's always there. I think you just yeah. get used to carrying a little bit extra. I think yes. it doesn't go away. You just you get used to it being hard, and so you just expect it to be hard. Mm-hmm. And and like you were even mentioning, it doesn't only affect affect you in yes, obviously in your ability to learn, but also like you said, typing, like making a phone call. I I got something wrong once when I was trying to get a movie ticket from a machine. I bought like the wrong thing. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. It's just like little silly things like that, but like you know, it did. It, it does like a little dig because it's something like, wait, how did I, how did I not, how did I, I not recognize that, you know? But um, it does never go away, and it does affect affect everybody in different ways, and not only in learning and in school, but also just life in general. Um, and that's one yeah. thing I, I want to make aware and known to people. Um, so. Thank you so much, April, for, um, you know, being here with me today and and helping me, uh, you know, make awareness to dyslexia and all learning disabilities, really. And um, I know that people are going to hear what you have to say and, and just really, really connect. So thank you so much. Thank you. 
Thank you guys so much for tuning in to episode four of Determined to Dream, the Dyslexia Awareness Podcast. Can't believe that we're almost all done. Um, we only have about three more episodes left, so tune into episode five, where we hear from a parent's perspective again as I interview my dad, Dr. Terry Huff. Thank you guys so much, and see you next time. <laughs>